Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Now, born and bred in Dublin, Big Joe Egan, as he is affectionately known, got his first ring baptism of fire when he fought the national junior champion, Steve Collins. In Joe's second fight against Collins, he proved that he'd come on in leaps and bounds. By the age of 24, he'd recorded over 80 wins, seven Irish titles, and he was a Golden Gloves champion. Joe fought 11 times wearing the green vest of Ireland, and he attracted even more attention when he went the distance with Lennox Lewis, and beat the future WBA champion, Bruce Selden. The fight had it all and enthralled those at ringside. Joe was encouraged by Floyd Patterson to try his luck in the USA. So Joe, Joe joined Mike Tyson's training camp in the Catskill Mountains with the great Customato. Joe became like a brother to Mike Tyson, who, went, who once said after Joe, after a particularly vicious sparring session, that Joe was the toughest white man on the planet. The two became the firmest of friends. Joe, this is your IMDB intro. I hope it's accurate. Sounds good, except Steve wasn't the junior champion. He was. We were only kids. I was 11 and he was 12 and a half. He went on to win two world titles. So it was no shame to lose twice to that man. Yeah, a, a former guest here, a great raconteur himself. Joe, it, it, you, the fact that it's an IMDB intro for you, like it just shows the many, hat, the many hats you've worn in, uh, in life at this stage. You've had many careers, you know, a sporting career, uh, and many many hats outside the ring as well. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Joe. I know oh. that the uh, listeners are going to get great crack out of hearing your stories. Kevin, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Jim Roth told me all about you. He's been on your show, and uh, you've had some illustrious, illustrious characters on there. So I'm I'm uh, privileged and honoured to be on your show to tell you that these men have achieved, like Jim and Steve, two names there we just mentioned. They both won world titles. Every fighter that climbs into the ring dreams about becoming a champion of the world. I wasn't good enough to become a champion of the world. I shared the ring with champions of the world and it was an honour to share the ring with them. And I got battered by them. You know, Lennox Lewis battered me, but Mike Tyson battered me. But if you're going to get battered, Kevin, you might as well get battered by the best. I got battered by the best. But uh, that title title of Mike Tyson gave me, we sparred this particular day and there was four white sparring partners. Normally, there'd be some black fellas. But this day, there was just white sparring partners. And he, he knocked three of them out. I was number four. I got battered from pillar to post. But he never put me down. And at the end of the spa, Mike Tyson said, Joe Egan is the toughest white man on the planet. Far from it, Kevin. I was the toughest white man in the gym that day. But listen, if you're going to get a compliment like that, who better than to get a compliment off than the likes of Iron Mike Tyson? 
yeah. you know, it was, it was, uh, it was incredible to share the ring with him. But listen, every fight that I had, that walk to the boxing ring, it's, it's the most fearful walk that you'll, you'll ever experience in your life because you know you're getting in and you know it's a contact sport. But at the end of the day, it's just a sport. There's nothing personal. To me, it's the greatest sport in the world. And when you can get in, there's a prime example, me and Steve Collins. Steve battered me twice. When I was 11, he was 12 and a half, and a year and a half makes a big difference. And then when I was 16, he was 17 and a half. So I made a bit of a better account of myself then. But um, when you can get in and batter each other and embrace at the end of a fight and stay friends for the rest of your life. And me and Steve are great friends. Carl Ryan, who was head doorman in the nightclub where I worked in Leeson Street, we won our way to the Irish final. He boxed out of Dream in a Boxing Club and I boxed out of the Null. And we battered each other in the senior final in 1984. Then went to work on the door together on Leeson Street. People are coming in. We were black and blue, busted up. It was, oh my God, there must have been a bad fight tonight. We were after boxing each other. But the friendship and the respect, and that's what I always maintain to people, boxing gives you first and foremost self-respect and then respect for your opponents. And a friendship that you can carry throughout life. Promoters and agents and managers, they, they, they promote a fight different than the fighters promote a fight. Yeah, the fighters have to whiteboard each other and sort of growl at each other and build the fight up and they get in, touch gloves and exchange blows. But when it's all over, you embrace because it's, it's, it's the most beautiful feeling in the world. Win, lose, or draw. Win, lose, or draw. You know, to be in in the ring and 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 have you're you're a, you're a person, a man or a woman, with courage, and that's something you're born with. You can't give people courage. You can give them skills, Kevin, but you can't give them courage. You play basketball, you play golf, you play tennis, you play soccer, you play them sports. You don't play boxing. Boxing is is a warrior sport, and uh, we are the greatest athletes on the planet, I believe. And uh, the best people as well, but that's being biased. <laughs> yeah, only only slightly. <laughs> Joe, bring bring us back a bit, Joe. You were born in um, you were born in Dublin. You grew up in a it was a Ringsend or Sandy Mount, which Ringsend, uh, Ringsend. <clears throat> Excuse me, Ringsend, Kevin. Ringsend and, obviously uh, uh, has produced some fantastic sportsmen over the over the years. Oh, there's some great soccer stars out of Ringsend. You know, there's um, loads of legends out of Ringsend. And um, yeah, it's, it's 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 a great place, and um, had some great childhood years there up on the up on the strand, and uh, used to run along the strand, used to go running along the, on the on, on on the beach there, and um, yeah, so had some great times in Dublin growing up. Jumping in, uh, jumping in after Grand Grand Canal docks. Oh, we done that. We done that as kids. We swam at the daughter, and um, yeah, we. I was in the Ringsend has a great uh, tradition for rowing as well. Any, oh, yeah. Got the, no, I rowed with the Sea Scouts. I rowed with the Sea Scouts. And uh, we were in the Fort Port Dodder. And uh, it was Ringsend first port. And, um, yeah, I rowed in the Sea Scouts. I wasn't good enough to row with the Stella or the Cambridge. They were like, they were like incredible rowers. But that was their chosen sport. My chosen sport was boxing. And um, I excelled in boxing. And uh, the lads in Cambridge and Stella, they, they excelled in rowing. But the Sea Scouts, I was a decent level at the Sea Scouts who rowed there. The, um, for fun, really, you know. And, uh, uh, and obviously, Ringsend produced one of the great boxing families from Ireland that went on to 
have such an impact on British boxing as well. The Ingles. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Brendan, Brendan, Brendan at the Winker Bank gym in Sheffield and trained several world champions. Famous, most famous of them is Nassim Hamid, but he's trained some incredible fighters. And his two sons, John and Dominic, now they're, they're training fighters and still, still um, carrying the family name. And then there was also the Teeth. The Teeth came from that area as well. Fred won the silver medal in the 1956 Olympics. And he, he was robbed in the, the final of the 1956 Olympics. I've actually got the program from that fight because his son, Emil, because Fred refereed one of my professional... No, actually, yeah, Fred refereed um, one of my professional fights where I got beat and I got stopped in the fifth round with cuts. And um, I was pleading with Fred not to stop the fight, actually. I said, I'm okay. I can see the brothers running into my eye. And he said, you can't, Joe. I said, I can't. Please don't stop the fight, Fred. Round five. Anyway, stopped the fight. And that was in Dublin. That was on Steve Collins' bill when he fought Danny Morgan in the stadium. And um, my heart was broke, to tell you the truth. I got, no, it was a bad cut, but um, it was just a loss and I didn't want it on my pro record. <clears throat> and then um, I was involved in a bad car accident and my career finished. I was out of the ring for 12 years and then I made a comeback because I needed the money. And his son, Emil, refereed my fight. Emil teeth and... Uh, I won. I won my last. I won my, they say you're only as good as your last fight, but I won my last <laughs> yeah. fight. Well, Fred and Emil refereed my, refereed my fights. But going back, I won seven Irish Irish boxing titles, which was a, a major achievement for me. I wasn't really that good, Kevin. I was just tough, you know. But I grew up tough because my dad worked on the building sites in England. And um, like a lot of the Irish, we, we emigrated to, to work. And um, we used to go over and visit my dad. Ireland's greatest export has always been its people. And we used to go over to visit my dad in England. And I got bullied. I made my Holy Communion in Manchester. And I got bullied in, in, in England because I had the Irish accent. So then I picked up the English accent to fit in. And then when I came home to Dublin, I got bullied in Dublin because I had the English accent. So I've got four younger sisters and two younger brothers. So when the bullies had finished sort of beating on me, I used to sort of jump back up and say, please don't hit them, hit me, you know. And they got to the stage where I could absorb a beating like a sponge because I'm getting battered. By the bullies. All my years boxing, Kevin, only ever had one tooth knocked out. Then Roy Bryan knocked that tooth out. And then um, the bullies knocked two of my teeth down and they made Holy Communion. So the boxing ring was actually quite safe for me. I got more damage done to me on the streets. Did you uh, Did you learn fear from the bullies? Did you? Um, obviously, at the start, when you're getting bullied, it's, it's going to be quite a frightening experience. Did, did it, was it so <laughs> frequent that you kind of <laughs> left that fear behind? The thing, the thing is, my dad encouraged me and my brothers to box, to learn to defend ourselves. So I went down to the boxing gym and uh, I learned, I learned how to box and defend myself. Yeah, I was scared. Of course, there's, 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 there's two spellings of the word fear. The coward spells it, forget everything and run. The fighter spells it, face everything and rise. And I've always been an out battler, you know. I've always had a goal. Win, lose, I'd run. I'd have a goal. Even when the bullies were beating on me, I still have a goal. You know, just they were older than me and. Too many of them, but I always had, I always had an abundance of courage, and that's that's the boxers for you. That's something that I born with, like I said earlier on. Yeah, so I learned how to box. Did you get to have that uh, satisfying moment when you went back and, and faced up to the bullies? Here's what I know now. Oh, it's it's always it's always satisfying when you stand your ground. Like I said, it's it's it makes it difficult for them, and I've always stood my ground. Makes it difficult difficult for them nine times out of ten. They move on to bully somebody else because when you fight back, they don't like that bullies. But I hate bullies with a passion. 
I hate them with a passion. And when I when I was a, when I was a kid, it was physical bullying. I do a lot of anti-bullying talks. It was physical bullying, Kevin. You know, and uh, you get a busted eye or a busted jaw or a broken arm or a broken leg. There's a time scale that the doctors will tell you that them injuries will heal. But see now, with these keyboard bullies bullying people over mobile phones and over computers, there's no time scale for the healing because it's mental damage. And and it's horrific. And when when I was younger, if you could run home and get into your house and close your front door, it was a sort of a safe haven. Your home was your castle, so you were sort of safe. But see now with the mobile phones and the, the computers, children have no safe haven because even when they close the front door, these bullies can get to them over the internet things and uh, the Twitter things and the, the Instagram things. And uh, it's horrific. And you see children and adults taking their lives because of bullying. And it, it's it's sad, it's tragic. And I try I try to from my level best to help anybody that's getting bullied. You know, I'm an ambassador for different organizations. And I'm very proud to be, you know, my how achievement. You, how do you help uh, kids who are getting bullied in that respect? Because like you say, 40, 30, even 20 years ago, you can teach people skills, uh, you can teach kids how to fight back. How to how to deal, how to cope better with with bullying and stuff like that. But now, like you say, there's no safe haven. How do how do you teach? Uh, how do you bring it across to teach people? Maybe. Well, the first thing I tell them to do is to talk to somebody about it because bottling it up doesn't do any good. Because sometimes when people are getting bullied, children in particular, they don't like to tell anybody. They mm. bottle it up, and I I don't think that's good. I think it's good to tell somebody, tell your school teacher. Tell your parents, tell tell somebody, don't bottle it up. Secondly, I'd say join join some sort of a club, whether it be a boxing club, a ski sea scout group, a cup group, um, a rowing club, where you've got a bit of camaraderie, because there's safety in numbers. And um talk talk about it, join a club. Boxing, to me, like I say, gave me the courage and the confidence. And the ability to stand up to the bullies. I can't encourage everybody to join a boxing club because not everybody wants to do that sport. But definitely join some sort of a club. Speak to people. And definitely, definitely don't bottle it up. Definitely don't bottle it up. You know, because it doesn't do any good bottling it up. And um, all it does is fester inside and it can make you very ill mentally and physically. Yeah. You know, A lot of boxers seem to take up uh, the sport because of bullies and stuff. And oh, se- several of our past guests, yeah. You hear the stories, Kevin, they're so similar, so similar. They say boxers come from the gutter. I don't like that terminology. Boxers come from very humble beginnings. They fight their way out of out of hard times to make better times for their lives, you know, and families. And um, the thing is, you hear the stories of the bullying so, so many times with the boxers. And that's why boxers stand up against the bullies for themselves and for other people. I'm very proud to be part of the sport. All right, my boxing career is finished, but I'm still very, very heavily involved in the sport. And um, do you consider the Dublin you came from like rough and tough? Like, because obviously you you probably know every great boxer from the last half century, and like some of the fighters from America and other parts of the world, they came from serious like deprivation. Like the streets were the streets were tough. Listen, every major city, every major village, every major country. All over the world, there's tough people, you know, hard times 
makes for tough people. And there's hard times everywhere. Do you understand? People say, oh, we're privileged because we came from Dublin. We're no more privileged than, 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 than the people from Sligo or Limerick, you know, it just happens to be the capital city. But there's hard times all over the world and hard times makes for hard people. And when you've got a, when you've got a battle to try and make something out of your life, make it better, boxing makes it a bit easier because the battle to be a fighter and you get trained to punch the bag, do the pad work, I think it's it's a lot easier when you've got a fight. I'll ask you in a few minutes, how do you think you would have fared had you grown up in uh, Brownsville, New York? But uh, I've been to Brownsville. I lived, I lived in New York for a number of years and uh, I went to Brownsville. Yeah, it's, it's a very rough part of New York. But what, 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 what makes New York different uh, to, to Dublin is there's only a million people in Dublin. There's 10 million people in New York. New York is, is like I said, 10 times bigger. So you'd expect 10 times more of the crime, 10 times more of the poverty, 10 times more of the hardship. But listen, there's hard, there's hard parts of Dublin, very, very rough parts of Dublin, tough parts of Dublin. And there's some tough people in Dublin, very good people. And there's some great boxing clubs in Dublin. You look at the gyms around Dublin, these the champions that they've, they've produced, you know. It's, it's, when you chose to start boxing, you started off at one of the toughest gyms, Donora, Donora Avenue Boxing Club, Donora Boxing Club, right there underneath. Was was the club underneath St. Teresa's Gardens at the time? Yeah, Gardens, the flats, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Tony Mann, Benny Bracken, uh, Mr. Reid, um, uh, Mr. McAvoy. Oh, there was um Shay O'Gray, Joe Fagan. Um, these are all the adults in the, the, the gym and the trainers and the people that helped us as kids. And the Nora produced so many great champions. Paddy Finn was the Irish heavyweight champion long before me. And I just wanted to emulate him. I just wanted that because he used to look at Paddy as the Irish senior champion. But if you look at the champions that the Nora has produced, the Ormond family, they were fantastic. Um, Noel Reed, Penny Ward. Um, Derek Zambra. Derek, I think, trains the No Boxing Club now. Um, I, used to, I used to do a bit of training with Derek myself, yeah. So, yeah, uh, lovely fella, yeah. Flyweight, great fighter. No McAvoy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul Daly. Incredible fighters came out of came out of uh, um, the No. I think I think Tony and Benny, the trainers, had um, five five Irish champions at one time. Pat Ormond, um, Paddy Finn. Um, oh God, there was another great fighter. Um, Rocky Ray Dowdall, Ray Dowdall, Eddie Dowdall. Um, oh, God, some great fighters out of the north. And it was only a small little gym. What was the it that brought you down from Rings End down to uh, down to St. Teresa's or down to that part of town? Oh, there was a, a chap in Rings End at a, at a fruit and veg shop. Um, oh, what was his name? Burn, and he was friends with with Tony. Tony Mann used to have machines. He used to put the fruit machines into into different businesses, and we met Tony through um, through the fruit veg man. And then Tony encouraged us. So me and my brother used to run up along the canals or walk up along the canals. So there was two buses: the number three from Rings End into town, and then the nineteen or the twenty-two outside Cleary's, up outside the stadium. Then you would walk into the North Avenue. But sometimes, like, we wouldn't have the money for the buses. So we used to just jog up along the, the canals. And then a friend of ours, he used to travel in from, um, he used to travel in from Dunleary, Gregory, Greg. His dad used to give us a lift home sometimes, you know. 
But uh, yeah, we just had some great times there. And that's how we joined that, um, that, 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 that club. But we went to Corinthians as well. We went to Corinthians as well, but Corinthians club had been damaged and uh, in a fire, I think it was. And they were using St. Saviour's club in Dorset Street. So they were training in St. Saviour's. And there was a lot of, there was loads, loads in there as well. And Steve Collins used to, he boxed out of St. Saviour's and Phoenix. And then, um, yeah, we went to a load of amateur boxing clubs, but Dunor was the one in particular that, that, that I'd done my amateur career in. But there was, uh, I went up, used to go up to Avona, used to go up to train up in Avona. And I boxed, um, I boxed my friend out of Avona, Ray Kane, in the Irish finals. I boxed another friend of mine who I used to train with in Corinthians, um, Dan Curran. I boxed Dan, I boxed his brother Fran as well. And uh, Dan used to help me when we used to go to Corinthians. He was he was an incredible fighter, Dan. And then um, when I boxed Dan in one of the Irish finals, I didn't mean to, to, to I didn't want to fight him. He, he he was my friend. It was like Carl, he was my friend as well. But Dan didn't make the light heavyweight. He was a couple of pound over in the light heavyweight. And he came up to heavyweight. I was boxing average heavyweight at the time. And he won his way to the final. And then I won round one and two. But I tell you what, I was so glad to hear the bet in round three because his experience started to come through. And I, like I said, I just about won on points. But I, I, I was so glad to hear that final bet against Dan. Yeah. He, he was an incredible fighter. Did you, like, did you obviously had a lot of friends in the sport? Did you have many, not, not, not enemies, but like, it seems like in a lot of your finals, you're fighting against guys you're close to. You know, you're going back, uh, working as a bouncer with one of the lads, and Dan, obviously, a mentor to you as well. Like, was there anyone that like got your blood boiling, like that you really wanted to beat, you really wanted to fight? No, 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 no one in particular that uh, you had uh, any, any any animosity towards. It was just uh, it was just a sport. But one one year when I won my way to the um, to the senior final in 1984, because me and Cahill were both from Dublin, we had to use different changing rooms at the back of the stadium. And the stadium is, is is an old old building. It's like catacombs at the back of the stadium. Like, have you walked through that back of the stadium? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Only a few months right? ago. Well, you know what I'm talking about, right? So when I came out of my changing room, it wasn't the one I was normally used to. So I walked up the way that I'd normally walk, and Cal was in the corridor warming up. Now I just said to him, "Hello, Cal," I said, "The very best of luck in the fight." And he looked at me. Do you mind if I swear? And I wonder if I swear what it is. He goes, fuck off, Joe. I'm trying to hate you. Right? <laughs> I genuinely didn't mean to, 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 to bump into him. And I just being polite, I just said, listen, Carl, the very best of luck. And he, re- he still to this day maintains that I did that on purpose, Kevin. I didn't. <laughs> trying to wind him up. <laughs> yeah, I genuinely didn't. But no, there was no, there was no, when the bell went, obviously you can look into each other and you, you, you fight. Best you can, you know, and uh, that's 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 what it was. It was just it was just it was just a sport. But I won I won seven Irish titles, Kevin. Four four seniors, two under nineteens, and a junior, which was a major achievement. To win one Irish title for me was incredible. To win seven and to box for Ireland so many times it was. Did, was you it was you won the uh, the under nineteen, the junior, and the senior in the same year. Was it eighty five? No, it was 80, 83, 83. 83. Yeah, 83. I, won the, I, got, I got beaten in the 85 senior final. I got beaten in the 85 senior final by uh, Bernie Deasy. He came over from Liverpool. He beat me in the 85. I won, um, I won 
83 on the 19, junior and senior then into the early part of 84. Then then uh, 85, I got beat by Bernie DC. I didn't think I lost the fight. I didn't think I lost the fight. Bernie came over from England as a big puncher. He was out of Castle Bar and um, working as a, a psychiatric nurse. And he was a big, strong man. Nice big fella. And uh, he got the decision in the final. I, I thought I won, but listen, I'm sure I got decisions and fights that I lost. But you, you, you just luck falls in your favour sometimes, you know. And uh, that night, the luck fell to him and he got the decision. And then I went down from uh, super heavyweight down to heavyweight. And in 1986, I'll never forget this, I was given a boxing lesson by Tony DeLocry. And I mean a boxing lesson. He schooled me that night in the boxing ring and he went on to win the the senior heavyweight title, but the, the Lockeries are a famous name in amateur boxing, and Tony in particular was incredible that night. And he, he schooled me, his skills, his speed. And then... Uh, I, he he I, was I, a, a Limerick, guy from Limerick, from uh, the Defence Forces, wasn't he? And he, yes, he'd been yeah. previously a middleweight as well, so he was coming up. Oh, listen, let me tell you, that man had an abundance of skills. Hmm. You know, I didn't. I wasn't very skillful, I was just tough, but he schooled me that night. And um, great friends of George Foreman, I believe, the Lockery. I couldn't tell you, but what a yeah. man to have as your friend. I met George yeah. on a couple of occasions, you know, and what a man to be able to say as your friend. But the, the Lockeries are a famous name in amateur boxing in Ireland. And uh, I think they boxed out of Sarsfield in Limerick. And indeed, I know, I know they were military men as well, but in 1987, I boxed them again. In the senior championships, but I beat him that 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 that, that year. He was getting a little bit older, and um, I beat him that year, and then won the senior title that year in '87. Won the senior title in '88. I beat Bruce Seldon Ireland versus America in 1988 in Atlantic City. Went on to win the world heavyweight title, probably the best win in my career, and then I won the senior title again in 1989. And uh, I felt in 1988, Kevin, that I should have got picked to go to the Olympics in 1988. I really believed this. You know, I'm not trying to pick myself up in any shape or form, but I was Irish champion and I felt I'd earned the rights. I'd boxed in the Acropolis Games in 1987. I won a bronze medal in 1987 and acquitted myself well, lost to the eventual gold medalist, the Italian. And uh, in, uh, no, the this, Greek, in, excuse me, the Greek. I lost to yeah. the Greek, the eventual gold medalist. You gave him a but, funny nickname. Georgius Stepanopoulos was his name and he put me down. For the first time ever on my back, put down. And uh, I'd been put onto the ropes a few times, but um, he put me down on my back. And his name was Georgius Stepanopoulos. And I remember the lads were calling him Georgius Step on top of us, you know, because <laughs> I hit the deck. But uh, it was strange because Dad used to call me for my runs. And... Um, I lost my mum and dad last year, God rest them both, you know, and uh, in case anybody watching that didn't know my, my dad had passed on and my mum had passed on, because a lot of fighters knew my mum and dad because he used to frequent the stadium when I was boxing. I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. But um, I just watched some think, amazing videos of your, your mother meeting uh, Mike Tyson and Sugar Ray Leonard and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, these great messages. champions. These great champions. I'll tell you about them now in a, in a, in a minute and visit my mum and stuff. Very proud walking through rings and these legends of the ring. But my dad, I'll just tell you about the first time I got put on my back. Um, my dad used to call me for runs in the morning. I never liked running, Kevin. And um, I was always a lazy runner. So I was a lazy, lazy, lazy trainer as well. I was just a runner. Yeah. But uh, I was, uh, 
it was hard getting out of bed in the morning to go for the runs. And Dad used to say, drag yourself out of bed. He said, it's like dragging yourself off the deck when you get decked. I used to say, Dad, no one's going to deck me. Anyway, second round of the Acropolis game. My left eye was badly damaged. The Greek caught me with a punch and uh, I didn't even see it coming. I'd have been hit with probably harder punches, but this one anyway put me on my back. And I didn't even know I was on the deck. I didn't even know I was unconscious. Didn't even know what was going on. And uh, Eddie Byrne and uh, Jerry Hanna and Eddie Byrne were my corner men for the national team. And I was lying on my back with my arm looking for my bed sheets, trying to pull my bed sheets over me. <laughs> they, honestly, God, Kevin, they thought I was calling them into the ring. I wasn't. I was trying to find my bed sheets. So then I lined, rolled over onto my left-hand side and my left eye was closed. My right eye was open at this stage and I saw the referee go five. So I thought, I'm on the deck here. I didn't even realise. So like for 10 to 15 seconds, from the time he hit me to the time I fell, to the time I lined my back, to the time the referee started counting, 10 to 15 seconds I was asleep. Anyway, when I when I made my way to my feet, my two corner men were, were in the ring at that stage and I sort of fell into their arms. And I got beaten on my feet, Devin. And I got stopped in the second round. He went on to win the gold medal. I think he beat the Dutchman, the two, two-time Olympic bronze medalist in the final, Arnold van der Leiden. So I lost to the eventual gold medalist. There was no shame to lose to the man. And uh, I remember phoning my dad afterwards. I said, Dad, I said, I won a bronze medal. He said, well done, son. I said, remember you said about dragging yourself out of bed. It's like dragging yourself out of the deck. He said, you got decked. I said, yeah, yeah, I got decked. But I'm all right. I got up. I got beat on my feet. My left eye's closed, but I'm okay. I said, it was exactly the same as what you said, dragging yourself out of bed. It was the strangest feeling, Kevin. Never felt the thing. Never felt the thing. You know, it was just, it was just put me asleep. But like I said, I got up and I got beat on my feet and I was, you know, you give the best you can give. That's all you can. Try your level best. I got beat by the better man. But, what worked uh, against you when it came to the 1988 Olympic Games? Well, the thing was, um, I believe... This is what I believe, Kevin, and, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. But I believe because I was training with the professionals in America, the, IA, the IABA didn't agree with the amateur boxers training with the pros. And I was training with professional fighters in America. One in particular was Mike Tyson. And um, I don't think it went down too well with the IABA. The president of the IABA at the time was Michael Felix Jones, and there was a lot of stuck in the mud IABA officials that uh, old school that didn't agree with the the pros and the amateurs mixing. And uh, look at it now. Look at the way it is now. All the pros and the amateurs mixing it together. They've got pro am shows and everything. But in 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 eighty eight, it was frowned upon by the IABA, and I got overlooked for the nineteen eighty eight Olympics. And I was very upset about it because I'd carried the flag, I call her, into the a stadium when I was captain of the team in the Acropolis Games. I think there was 21 countries competing in the Acropolis Games. And I was I was dreaming about boxing in the Olympics. Never, never, never considered that I'd ever get a medal, but just to, to be on the Olympic team. And um, anyway, I never got picked. It was quite bitter. And then in 1989, um, I won my way to the Irish final again. Um, I beat Sean O'Regan in the finals in 1989. He actually hurt me really, really bad. He hit me with a... He, I think Sean was a, a martial arts uh, world champion. He was an incredible puncher. School teacher from Cork, from um, Rylan in Cork. And um, 
he won his way to the final. He stopped uh, a few few good fighters, and he won his way to the final. I won my way to the final, and he hit me a punch. My gum shield took off. My jaw it was like an exorcism. My head spun, and uh, he hurt me really, really bad. I didn't go down, but he hurt me really bad. And I was on my feet. I was unconscious on my feet, but they couldn't find my gum shield. So they couldn't let the fight continue to the found my gum shield. So I had an extended count, which 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 gave me the, the rest point. Yeah. Oh, I was blessed. Evan, if, if he had gone at me after nine seconds, I was in trouble because his punch power was incredible. Anyway, after that, I thought I'm not going anywhere near him. And he'd only had, I think, 15 fights at that stage. I was a lot more experienced than Sean. So I, I stayed away. I didn't get hit with another one of them bomb right hands, you know. And I stayed away and I won, won the fight on points, but my jaw was badly damaged. Anyway, I'd only just landed a good job as well when I came home from America. I got a job at Delta Airlines. And um, I said to uh, Sean after the fight, what a punch that was, you know. And we embraced and uh, lovely fella. And as I was walking out the back of the, the stadium to get, get changed, Arthur O'Brien, who was the secretary of the IABA, he said to me, he said, is your visa valid for America? I said, yeah. I said, I'm sure it is, but I'm not a, I'm not interested in going on the team because I just landed a good job at and I hate to turn down a trip to America on the boxing team, the box for your country, but I just landed a good job. I've been living in America a lot of years. I wanted to come home and um, he said, well, Give us a passport. He said, let's get your visa, make sure it's okay. And I said, but and I said, I don't I don't think I'm going to be able to travel. I said, my jaw is damaged. I've just landed a good job. My heart wasn't in the trip. Right? So I said to Sean, when we got dressed and I met met him after in the stadium, I said, Sean, I've been picked to go on the national team to box in America in a few weeks' time. I don't think I'm going to be able to travel. My jaw is damaged. I just landed a good job. And um, how was in the trip? But I said, listen, don't stop training for two weeks. I said, keep training. But I said, you be picked to go. So we said, okay, thanks very much for that advice. Like, you know, I wasn't not going to tell him. And then him no, stopped yeah. training. A lot of people weeks. wouldn't. A lot of people no. wouldn't. No. So I told Sean. Anyway, two weeks later, I'd already told after that I didn't want to travel. Two weeks later, I'd already confirmed that I'm definitely not traveling. And um, this is fact. I'm not making this up, Kevin. This is fact, right? Anyway, um, Sean went and he gave a good account. I think he, he won two fights in America. He definitely won one, you know, with his punch power. Incredible. So, Art O'Brien then contacted me, contacted the North Boxing Club, and they said, why did I hand them my passport trying to obtain a visa knowing that I wasn't travelling on the Irish team? Why didn't I give them suitable notification that I wasn't travelling on the Irish team? And why did I tell my opponents that I wasn't travelling on the Irish team before I informed the IABA? And I thought, that's rubbish. I told Sean out of courtesy. I'd said it to Art as he said it to me. I'd already had my visas. I wasn't sure how valid they were, but, I, you know, they weren't out of date. And um, anyway, next of all, he said, uh, stand in front of the board and defend his accusation. No way. I'm not standing in front of any board. I'm not a, I'm not a, a guilty man for anything other than being decent. So I didn't. So then they wanted to ban me. For, for a number of months for amateur boxing. And then Tony Mann and um, and the the, the the amateur boxing the club was saying, listen, it's out of season, you'll be okay. I said, no, it's principle. So that was um, 
what year was that? I'm getting mixed up. 89, you said. 89, 89, 1989. So I, 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 uh, that was my last senior title. So I said to me, Dad, that's disgraceful. So I said, I'm finished with boxing. He said, look, son, don't let the put you on boxing. And I told Tony Mann, I said, I'm never going to box again, Tony. I said, I, I, I'm disgusted, you know, because I'd always been a, a good ambassador for the sport. Boxing doesn't just need great fighters. It needs good ambassadors. And I pride myself my manners, Kevin, and, and anywhere I ever go, I make friends, you know. And I'm not trying to be big-headed. I, I just make friends, you know, and uh, I pride myself my manners. So I said to my dad, I'm finished. Lo and behold, anyway... <clears throat> Home International came up. Sean had, had boxed in America. I think he, I think he won his, his fights in America. He'd come back and uh, there was a, a, an international against Wales. And for some reason, he, he couldn't fight against Wales. So they, 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 they said, my ban wasn't going to start until the season finished and that I, I, I could box for Ireland against Wales. Now, at that stage, I'd already said to Tony and my dad that I'm finished with boxing. I don't want to box anymore. But my dad said, don't let them deprive you of, 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 of a fight for your country. So I got in against Wales, my last ever amateur fight, and I stopped the Welshman in the first round out of, out of venom for the IABA was the way they treated me. It wasn't venom towards my opponent because I was never a big puncher, right? And I went to Tank Hart in the first round and I stopped him. And I got the fight on the video. I stopped him and it wasn't even boxing. It was like a street fight. And I regret to, to win that way because the man didn't deserve to lose that way. You know, people say win the best way you can. It wasn't, it was just like a street fight. And uh, I was so wound up at the IABA. Anyway, afterwards, when I was presented with my medal, I just, I gave, um, I threw the medal anyway. I was just, I was so angry, you know, because I was bitter over the 88 Olympics. I was bitter over the treatment of not going to America and getting treated like that with the, the suspension. And, uh, my last amateur fight was a win against Wales. In between, in between, in between. Um, yeah, let's go back, Joe, to the to the part where, um, if we can, if uh, let's go back to the part where you, you go to the United States to represent Ireland in, a, in an in, uh, Ireland versus USA or USA versus Ireland international. Oh yeah, and, and you changed, I suppose, the course of your life. I boxed. Um, I boxed in Atlantic City. I fought in Atlantic City twice. Sorry for getting emotional there about the the the. But anyway, after my last amateur fight, You're I went professional. Yeah. I went professional then. You know, I didn't want to go pro because I didn't want to fight six, eight, ten, twelve rounds. Not that I could anyway. I, I wasn't. I didn't like to run in that much. So uh, I went professional, so I could sort of still box because I got bitter with the amateur boxing association. But anyway, getting back to the trip to America, Kevin. I um. No, and we'll, we'll we'll round it out. We'll we'll go back then to the talk about the professional stuff as well. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll bring it full tell you circle. About the films as well. I want to tell you about the yeah. films. So go crack. But um, I went away on the Irish team. I was young and I boxed a big Marine sergeant. I think it was 17 at the time. And I boxed a big Marine sergeant, um, William Dawson, I think was his name. And he was 28. He was too big and too strong. And he was a mature man. I was big, but I hadn't got that mature strength. Anyway, I got battered. But I gave a good account of myself. And Paul Fitzgerald, the Irish featherweight out of Arkham, incredible fight. He won. He was living in America at the time. And he still lives out there in Upper Derby in Philadelphia. I went to visit him in Upper Derby. I saw where they done the Live Aid concert. I saw the, the Liberty Bell. I saw the Rocky statue. And um, yeah, good guy, Paul. 
he had a great fights against Tommy Tobin in the Irish Championships, Tobin out of the Irish Ropes and Paul out of Arkham. He's got some great memories of the boxing. Anyway, um, Floyd Patterson was in attendance at the fight. It was in Atlantic City and his wife was was Irish. He had a great love of the Irish people and uh, he, he took an interest in the Irish fighters and he gave Paul Fitzgerald the opportunity to stay and um, he gave me the opportunity to stay. Whatever I'd done in the fight, I didn't win. I got battered, but he gave me the opportunity to stay in America. He said, you've got, you got a lot of courage and you've got a good team. We can work on your skills. And would I stay in America? So I remember phoning my mom. I said, mom, I'm going to stay in America. She said, son, you'll never come home. I said, I'll be home next year, man. So I went to Gleason's gym with Floyd. I sparred a couple of pro heavyweights in Gleason's gym at Tucker. I can't remember the other heavyweight's name. And I gave a good account of myself. And Bob, Ga- Bob Jackson and Al Gavin, who bought the original gym, of course, uh, they said there's a young heavyweight in the Catskills uh, called Mike Tyson, and he's 17, looking for sparring partners. I was just so happy there that he was 17 because I'd been so used to fighting, and even that America was 28. Uh, I was on the doors of nightclubs at 15, and um, I'd done, done uh, Jules nightclub, the Oshivagos by Pat Gibbons. And, um, yeah, following, in the, following in the footsteps of another Irish uh, heavyweight, Logs Brannigan was the tour man oh, there many, he many years previously. He refereed, he refereed my fight against Steve Collins. Did he? Oh, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, see, he, uh, a legendary Garda and a one man riot squad. Yeah, you wouldn't call him looks to his face either. I'll tell you a story about him now, if you don't mind, in a few minutes. An incredible story. Fire away. A, beautiful, a beautiful story, right? And this is fact. I'm not making this up, right? This is fact. But uh, when I went to the Catskills with, uh, with Alan Bob, I met Cos and Camille and Manny and and Jay and Tom, and I was so welcomed. And then I met Mike for the first time, and he was smaller than me, and it turned out six months younger than me, and he spoke with a bit of a lisp. So I thought, I'm going to back to you. I really did think I was going to punch that. A real nice fella. Loved the history of Irish boxing, Barry McGuigan in particular, with the relationship with Mr. Eastwood. He was like father-son. And um, we became instant friends. We walked, we talked, went to the top of the house, watched these archive of fight footage, the big collection of fight footage, and he access, had access to Jim Jacobs' collection, which was the biggest in the world. The and biggest fault, yeah, that's oh, right. incredible, incredible. And we used to watch that. But we became instant friends. The next morning we went running, and uh, that afternoon then we went sparring in the gym. We went in the minibus, and uh, two young boys, suddenly all these big, powerful men appeared, and I thought they're going to box each other. And those two boys are going to box each other. They were walking very somber, Kevin. But they knew it was coming. Stupid Joe didn't know it was coming, you know. I, I had no idea who this man was. I had no idea what he was achieving, who he was knocking. He was knocking at my left and centre. I didn't notice. I was full of confidence. I thought I'm bigger. I'm more experienced. I'm older. Anyway, we got to the gym, shadow boxed, um, bandaged up. Because said, right glove up, get ready to spar. And I'm looking around for Mike. I see all these big, powerful men, very scared. And I look in the ring, and there's Mike in the ring with his shirt off, pace in the ring. And I'm thinking, that's not the same boy I met yesterday. That's not the same boy I sat beside in the minibus. That's not the same boy I ran with this morning. His physique was incredible. His neck, his chest, his arms. I hadn't seen him stripped off. Just unreal for a 17-year-old boy. And then Coast pointed one of the sparring partners to get in. He was knocked back out. But I mean knocked back out, one shot, bang, gone. 
And I tell people I ruined a good pair of underpants at that moment in time. I shit myself. I thought there's no way it's 17 year old boy to have this power. Lo and behold, only two more got in. They got knocked out. I was number four. I got in. I got battered from pillar to post. But I stayed on my feet. Took a savage beating. Got out. A couple more got in. Then I got in again. I'd done another three minutes with him. Got battered again. And uh, got out. I'd done six minutes with him that day. But the madness in me. You know, I think most fighters are really madness in them. I thought I get the better of you one day. I never did. I stayed home with him for nearly two years, spoke with him loads, and uh, became the f- best of friends. And he used to speak to my mum on the phone regular. And he used to say, you know, Miss Egan, it's beautiful to talk to you. She said, oh, Mike, thank you so much for looking after my son. He was battering me week in, week out, you know. But I said, one day you visit my man, Mike. And he did. He visited her on a couple of occasions. I walked through Dublin when I went to Limerick, went to uh, Dublin, went to um, Sligo. And, uh, yeah, it was incredible to, to to walk through Dublin Airport with Mike. He, he remembered, I suppose, like the, she sent him a birthday package, didn't she? And he remembered you know years something. later. When, when, when he came to visit my mother the first time after 22 years talking on the phone to each other, they'd never met her. He said to me this day, he said, how's your mother doing, Joe? I said, she's not so good, Mike. She had a lump removed from her neck. My uncle Brian, he died at 47 with cancer. My mother is a heavy smoker. Brian never smoked. And uh, when we when she had that lumbry move, we were very concerned that it might be cancer. Blessings about it, it wasn't. But he said, let's go and visit your mother, Joe. She'd been released from uh, the hospital because of the MRSA book, and she was living with me, Auntie Linda, a sister, on on, on the housing estate in in, uh, in Ring's End, and then uh, the new houses. And um, we went on to that housing estate. That was a housing estate that my family was evicted on evicted from and now I'm going on to that housing estate with the best heavyweight of my era and there was just hysteria walked through Dublin airport was hysteria getting picked up at Dublin airport was was hysteria and uh, Mike went to the children's hospital in Crumlin which was which was incredible and then he he visited my mum with me Scott Welch who fought for the world heavyweight title on the Tyson Holyfield on the card Scott went 12 rounds with Henry Acker one day for the title and um he was the British and Commonwealth heavyweight champion, the Brighton Rock. And me and Scott in the front room and my man who Mike had embraced. Now, this is a man that can break bones with his punches, Kevin. He's embracing a fragile woman. It was beautiful to see a woman that he'd been speaking to on and off for 22 years. And they got talking about birthdays. Now, my mom's birthday was the 12th of July, Mike's the 30th of June, and they're both at the same birthday on cancer. And he said, Mrs. Egan, he said, I remember on my 18th birthday which at that stage was 22 years previous. He said, you sent over a shoebox with some potato chips, Irish potato crisps. He says, for money in an envelope, would have been very little money, Kevin, and some sweatshirts, it would have been second-hand sweatshirts, 22 years previous. And my mum said to, to Mike, you remember that, Mike? He said, Mrs. Egan, he said, very few people have given me anything in my life. Yes, I remember that. Scott Welch got choked up here to leave the room. Amanda fought 12 rounds for the World Heavyweight title. I broke down crying. Now, Mike had made me cry so many times, Kevin. He embraced my mom and he looked at me, he goes, Joe, motherfucker, you're always crying. You know, I do cry a lot, Kevin, you know, but that particular day, a man that could have been a billionaire athlete, remembering a couple of packets of Tato crisps, a couple of pounds in an envelope, and a couple of second-hand sweatshirts. Even with all his achievements, I don't envy his life. But he's had to endure I don't envy his life. He's had a hard life. You spoke about Brownsville earlier on. He had it harder than most. But um, he's still he's still with us. 
Do, do you mean you don't envy his like his particularly his past before he met you because all the stuff he went through or or what Mr. became of him because no he, what, what what became of him what became of him is because Cus died I said it in my book I said it in my book Mike launched my book on Canary Wharf one of the best days of my life the most incredible day thousands and thousands of people in Canary Wharf several world champions I know everybody was at Canary Wharf to buy the book because Mike Tyson was there but Mike was there for me what Mike had to endure in his life running wild as a 10-year-old child, as a young boy in Brownsville, a very, very rough part of Brooklyn, and um, running wild, trying to fend for himself at 10 years of age, and uh, no proper parental guidance, and uh, hard, hard hardship. And then getting put into the young offenders, getting to meet Cuss, getting minded for that short time by Cuss, and then Cus being took from him before he won the World Heavyweight title. And then being unleashed into the world of, of, of uh, boxing promoters and managers. Because it's the only sport in the world that allows rules the Lions. It's, it's very, very corrupt. It's very... Yeah. Let me tell you something now. You never see boxing managers or boxing promoters standing on the doors of nightclubs when their careers are finished. Heavyweight champions of the world having to stand on doors of nightclubs because of the abuse that they've received from managers and promoters through their career. You know, most fighters don't have education and, and these managers and promoters are, are, are um, ruthless. Do you understand? And, and they take liberties with them with their money and their finances. And it's sad, tragic, really. And I'm not saying them all. I'm not saying them all. I'm not going to mention any names. I'm not going to say them all. When you see men like Mike Tyson Tim Witherspoon, um, just to mention two, heavy, uh, Tony TNT Tucker, three, powerful heavyweight champions of the world, being robbed by managers and promoters. It's sad because it's the hardest earned money in the world, Kevin. It's the hardest earned money in the world. But um, like Mike, your, your friendship Mike, with Tyson, like obviously Tyson's got a, like he's, he's a fascinating character because like Mike Tyson's no angel. He went, to, he went to prison for a serious offense. Uh, and yet, you can see in his interactions with people how, how how beloved he is, and you can you know in your own, you know Mike Tyson for nearly forty years at this 40 stage. Forty years yeah, almost fair. now, Kevin. He boxed in the Irish shorts. You know, I swapped him his, his his American shorts, his first and second pro fights, right? He boxed in his American shorts. Then I swapped him them shorts for my Irish international shorts, and he boxed his third, fourth, I think fifth and sixth in the Irish white and green. You know, I've had so many people say to me, Joe, the Irish show said, they were mine. I said, they're the ones I swapped Mike. And uh, yeah, an incredible, an incredible character, an incredible character. But let me tell you a story about Lokes Brannigan, right? Let me tell you a story about Lokes, right? For for, for for boxing people, right? Lokes was a legendary, Mr. Brannigan, a legendary Irish boxer, legendary Irish guard, right? A very fair man. And in, in hard times in Dublin when he was a police officer, right? Anyway, I, I, I boxed Steve Collins and Lugs was the referee. And Steve Collins, my first ever fight with Steve was 11. I got back. But I sat down on my stool. My cornerman, Tony Mann and Benny said, we're going to retire. I said, no, 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 I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to retire. Let the referee stop. But it's not so embarrassing when the referee stops it. But I wasn't going to quit on my stool. But what I didn't realise was Lugs thought everybody was as tough as him. And uh, he let me take a beating for three rounds. 
So I learned the harsh lesson that day, right? So became friends with the man, an absolute gentleman. And uh, this is fact story, right? I'm not making this story up. I was on the doors of Jules Nightclub. I was 16 at this stage and I was setting up the barriers. They thought I was 21 on the door. Pat Gibbons, who was tragically killed in the Beaujolais wine race main crash with Kevin Marin. There were several killed. He owned the uh, Sands Hotel and Casino, him and his wife, Cathy, and uh, God rest the man, a very, very kind man. I met uh, Phil Coulter in Jules Nightclub. I met a few stars. Um, in Phil. He wrote uh, some beautiful songs, Phil Coulter, the piano player. And it was me, Declan Foley, Johnny McIntyre, and Johnny Nugent. Declan Foley was a hotel manager. Uh, Johnny Nugent used to restore... The, uh, uh, um, old cars, vintage cars, and uh, uh, Johnny McIntyre worked with uh, Oriental. So there were three professional men who used to do the doors just for uh, extra money. So I'm setting up the barriers, and there's a big gypsy squatting outside. So the lads said to me, they said, Joe, would you mind asking that man to move on? We're setting up the barriers. So I walked out, I said, excuse me, he was squatting down. I said, excuse me. I said, would you mind moving on? We're setting up the barriers. And he stood up. He must have been about six foot four, Kevin. He said, move me on. I was 16. I thought, this is a powerhouse of a man, big traveling fighting man. I thought, oh, my God. I'm in a bit of trouble here. So I said, that's a bad attitude to adopt. I said, I'm only trying to do my job. I said, now, come on. Don't be like that. He said, the only man ever to move me, he said, was Mr. Brannigan. He said, I was in a bit of trouble, he said. And... Uh, I was squatting and sleeping rough. And he said, he told me to move on. He said, I stood me ground. And he said, he done this to me nose, he said. And his nose was all over his face. So you could see he was a fighting man. He said, he, he beat me that day, Mr. Brannigan did. But he gave me the opportunity to stand me ground. So I said, okay. I said, I know Mr. Brannigan. He said, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, I refereed my boxing match a few years previous when I was 11 or 16 now at this stage. And he said, do you do a bit of boxing then, son? I said, I do, yeah. He said, and uh, box out at the Norwood Boxing Club. He said, okay. I said, I won't give you any trouble. So he said, I'll move on. And he put his hand out and he shook my hand and his hand was like double the size of mine. Mm. Swallowed, my, swallowed my hand. And the way he went, I was ever so happy. I wind the clock on years later. I'm standing at the number three bus stop outside Cleary's and I'm getting the bus home to Ring's End. And I see this old man walking along the street. And I look, and it was Mr. Brannigan. And he was sort of disheveled, you know, not walking tall. His statue was sort of gone. And I said, hello, Mr. Brannigan. And he looked at me and he goes, Egan, the heavyweight. And I said, that's right. He said, how are you, son? I said, I'm doing okay. I said, I'm backwards and forwards to America. I said, I'm doing all right. He said, great. He said, I'm finished with the boxing now, he said, and he pulled his coat up and he showed me the, the wristwatch that he'd, he'd been sent by the IABA for his years of service. And he said, they uh, gave me that for my years of service. I said, oh, okay. And uh, I told him that story about the gypsy. And he said, you used my name. I said, I did, yeah. And he said, my name got you out of a bit of a trouble. I said, I did, yeah. And he started to walk towards he grew in stature because I gave the man a compliment. His, his name saved me from probably taking a beating that night. And I watched him walk away. 
Tabi soru bana kalırsa. Batı'ım. Gene motion or himself given. Nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a nice story. You get, like you gave a, an old man a, a nice memory. Yeah. I um told my dad. Like, oh, so it was, uh, yeah, it was chuffed a bit. Your dad liked the story? Yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. I never tell that story. But yeah, I watched him walk away. He walked tall. Proud. Was your dad your biggest fan? Yeah. Yeah. All I wanted to do was make my dad proud in the boxing. That's all I wanted to do. My mum never wanted me to box. No one wants to see a son being beaten up. Did they ever? Uh, they, they never. They never had the privilege or the pleasure of going to to America to see in with Tyson. But they would have seen. They would. Did oh, they my, dad, to- my dad. My dad. My dad met with Mike in America. Yeah. He met with Mike in America many times. Uh, my mum, my mum only went to America once. She never met with Mike in America. She didn't, she didn't like America. My mum, she didn't like England either. She, she's a home bird from Ring's End, and um, she just wanted to be in Dublin. My dad, I saw a great picture of your America. dad with Muhammad Ali. Oh yeah, um, my dad met Muhammad Ali before I met him, and I used to envy my dad so much because I, I idolised Muhammad Ali. Sorry, I got emotional, Kevin. What, what, what are you sorry for? There's nothing to be sorry for. Um, I, pre- I appreciate your uh, your honesty and the way you told a story that means a lot to you. No, I appreciate it. I never tell that story. Never told anybody that story. Anyway, um, when my dad met Muhammad Ali, I used to envy him. I used to, oh, my God. I used to do an Ali shuffle as a tribute to Ali. To me, he's not just the greatest one of the greatest men to enter a boxing ring. He's one of the greatest men to enter the world. Boxing was... Lucky and privileged to have a man like him. He could have turned his hand to baseball. He could have turned his hand to American football, athletics. He was just an incredible athlete. And uh, boxing was very privileged to have him. And he was one of the, the greatest fighters of all time. The OAT, greatest of all time. That's what he used to say. I went to his house in Michigan. Al Capone used to own his house. They go to the gates, the OAT. I met him on four occasions. But my dad met him first. And he used to envy my dad thinking, oh, mm. my God. I want to meet that man one day. And I did. I got to meet him four times and to be in the presence of greatness. But uh, yeah, he's Irish of Irish descent. You know, Mamad Ali, I reckon he's, his, his roots of his family came from County Clare. Ennis, I believe, in County Clare. Abe Grady, wasn't it? Yeah, his uh, great-great-grandfather, I think, something like that. He yeah, wasn't, so um, apparently in the 70s, he wasn't too proud of his Irish roots, but he, he, he uh, grew accustomed to it. And by the end, he was he was quite happy with the link. But uh, you know, in the seventies, he didn't want to be associated with with a uh, you know any white heritage in his family and stuff like that. He rejected it. Or, but it was not a hard bit of times for yeah, of course, the yeah. racism in America, and there was um, another bit of time. So we probably would have said things that he 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 probably didn't use his head. He, he spoke from his heart, and uh, he would have been very angry at the time. With then he met called. the Egans, and then he was grand. <laughs> Oh, but he's uh, he's he's uh, very proud of his Irish heritage. Yeah, he was very proud. God rest the man. But he boxed in Dublin. He boxed uh, our Blue Lewis in Dublin. 
And uh, I think Charlie Nash made his debut on the Muhammad Ali. Uh, he definitely boxed on the card. I don't know if it was his debut or where he, he had a... I know he definitely boxed. It was another incredible... An- another guy who boxed on it was uh, well, Pat McCormick boxed on that bill, right? And um, oh, the McCormick's are a legendary. Pat yeah. John, legendary. So you have we had John on the show last year, you know, I met up with him and uh, did, a, did a show. It was, it was great crack. And we... Oh, give John, give John my love and very best wishes. Anybody, anybody that's listening to the show, anybody that's listening to the show that I, I'm friends with over the years that I've met, I send you all my very best wishes. So he, I met some great friends. John was telling us a story about um, back at the house uh, in, in their place in Dublin. Mr. Brannigan was over to deal with a bit of a... A kerfuffle, let's call it. And okay. um, they were in the kitchen, and uh, there were there was a punch thrown, but it was it was John's mother throwing the punch, and uh, she missed her target, but she connected with Mr. Brannigan, and she nearly knocked him out with a left hook. And apparently, she could hit uh, harder than anyone in the family, and a family of boxers. So it was a good story. Dublin mothers, but listen, women in particular, right? Let me tell you something now, right? Any man that says he's not afraid of his missus is telling lies, right? Because <laughs> right, let me tell you something. I used to watch my dad coming in from work with my kids. And I mean, in every boy's eyes, his dad's the toughest man on the planet, right? And in my eyes, my dad was the toughest man on the planet. And me and my two brothers used to watch my dad coming in from work when we were kids. And if my mother didn't greet him in the hall with a hug, he'd say, Ah, whatever I've done, I'm sorry, we'll put it right. And he used to, used to look at that, grovel at the man and say, What's going on there? Well, who was the most powerful man that God ever created? The most powerful man that God ever created was Samson. And he was tamed by Delilah. So what chances mere mortals like us got when it comes to women? Right? They wrote <laughs> And now, when you look at them boxing, Nicol Adams was the first ever Olympic gold medalist. And that 2012 Olympics, when she had that smile after winning a gold medal, Katie Taylor, the great Katie Taylor, she, she won the gold medal that year as well. But... You look at women boxing now and you see the skills, the toughness, incredible. Women are tough. Listen, they carry us for nine months and they give birth to us. So they're tough characters with what they've got to endure, you know? Yeah. So, Anyone who's been in the labour ward will, uh, will attest oh, to it for sure. I can't imagine that pain. I've had a few operations over the years and then they compare the pain to, to a woman having a baby. No comparison at all. I couldn't think of any more painful especially given now uh, given now uh, a head like mine jesus christ <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can imagine the pain my mouth went i think someone described it once as a, a watermelon coming through the, and opening the size of a lemon so uh, oh yeah no, my god didn't expect to be discussing childbirth on this podcast today no. but here, here we are childbirth of uh of big joe egan the diversity <laughs> that goes on and the the diversity on Rocky Road, eh? I like the but, way um, when you describe it, uh, knowing Mike, the early Mike Tyson, uh, yeah. like he, and I've read about Mike saying that he feels that he was always representing the old guard and fighters these days aren't educated about the past and, and boxers of the past. I, I gather it's something you know about the relationships you've fostered around the world, but Mike would say like, oh, that, see that left hook? I learned that one from Jack Dempsey or, you know, that, that right cross was a Benny Leonard cross or whatever it was. But when you got to know him, he was um, studying. He knew all about Barry McGuigan, uh, you know, the featherweight champion at the time, 1985 until 1986. And he admired his relationship with Barney Eastwood. And when you went professional, uh, 
I'm not going to say it, not against your will, but it mightn't have been in the plan. You, you too went professional with Barney Eastwood. Yeah, I went. I went. I, I, I went. But I didn't want to go back to America. I had, I had a couple of offers from America. I had a couple of offers from England, um, and I thought I want to stay at home now. I've been abroad a lot of years, and I wanted to stay at home. And it was the best camp in Europe at the time. Um, Mr. Eastwood had um, a lot of great champions. You know, Barry McGuigan, probably one of the most famous. But he date Boy McCauley, Paul Hodgkinson. He had uh, a lot of great champions. You know, there was uh, some great fighters out of the Eastwood camp. So I spoke to um, Jerry Story, Sam Story's father, who'd, who'd been a national coach on, on one or two of the team that had been on the Irish teams. And uh, I was friends with Jerry and his boy Sam was the British Super Middleweight Champion, first ever British Super Middleweight Champion. And his son Jerry Jr. was Irish Champion as well. And I spoke to Sam about advice about going pro. Um, and he said, if you're going to stay at home, Joe, Mr. Eastwood would probably be the best one to, to go professional with. And um, I spoke to Mr. Eastwood um, and he gave me a good deal. And I signed professional with him. And funny, I've got the... Can I show you this? While you're there, watch this, watch this. Stay where you are for a minute. Stay where you are for a minute. Go for it, yeah. Right, have a look at this. Have a look at this. Can you see this? Oh, yeah, that's a newspaper report. And it says, uh, for anyone who, who can't see it, which is all of you, Barney signs up Big Joe. So a big picture there of uh, Joe Egan at the table signing his forms with Barney Eastwood, a headshot, a big, large headshot of Barney Eastwood. And that's that picture just below where it says Joe. What is that a picture of Joe? I can't really see it. Is that just that's where it me, says, and it's, it's Barney Eastwood with Barry McGuigan. Ah, that's yes, it, right. And it's headlines: Barney signs up Big Joe. Egan goes to Belfast, and there's the picture that was in the Belfast Telegraph in February 17, nineteen ninety. And the other one was the Daily Mirror. That was the back page of the or inside the back page of the Daily Mirror, February 14, nineteen ninety. Very good. Any bylines on them? Who wrote who wrote the stories, Joe? Any any uh, um, names? Let me put my glasses on. I'll tell you now. Hang on. Jack McGowan or Dave Kelly or one of the boys. I'll tell you now. I'll tell you now. Hang on. Um Egan goes to Belfast. Oh Danny Sons a big job. Daily Mirror. Um, no, there's no names of who, who, who no violence. No, happy days for Eastwood and newly crowned world champion in the Quigan. Um, amateur international heavyweight King Joe Egan. Yes, I got that in a frame. Um, and it, does, it doesn't say who wrote them, but yeah, you can see that. That's, that's good, isn't it? That's a nice look um, And was the plan like, obviously Eastwood had guided uh McGuigan. The world title, uh, Dave Boy McCauley to a world title, and also yeah. Cristiano Espanta, Hoko as well. Like, a great, uh, a great history of, of world champions from that stable. Was the plan immediately from the start? We're going to have an Irish world heavyweight champion here. Oh, he no, sparred no, with the I best. Wasn't, I wasn't anywhere near good enough. Nowhere near good. Enough. I dreamed about it, but I wasn't good enough. No chance. Okay. Um, Even the promotional stuff that they say in the background to generate interest. You know, we no, got the guy no, who who sparred no. Mike Tyson. We he fought Lennox Lewis. A box, a boxed on Dave Boy McCauley's bill, which was a great honor in the King's Hall. A boxed on Crescento's bill in the Ulster Hall. A boxed on Victor Cordova. He was under a super midweight champion of the world for uh, Mr. Eastwood. A boxed with the Wentons, Richie and Nigel Wenton. Uh, Ray Kane, he'd gone pro at that time as well. He he, he went ten and zero as a as a cruiserweight. Then he lost a few fights and um, Ray out of Avona. Um, 
wide array was he worked the doors as well tough tough man I boxed around the Irish Championships and um, he went pro with Belfast as well and I boxed on that bill with uh, Ray when he boxed on Steve Collins's bill in Dublin when Steve fought Danny Morgan and I was trying to think there were some great fighters out of out of the Eastwood camp but no I I, I, I listen I was just happy to be boxing I loved the sport and then like like I say, I was getting a few quid for the fight. I was still working the door, still doing a bit of security. I was at home. I was working with Delta Airlines as well. And I was working three jobs as I was boxing professional. I worked the door in a pub on Caper Street. I worked the doors in a nightclub on Lisa Street. And I worked with Delta Airlines and boxed professional. You know, so it was it was hard, but it was fun. And I just loved the sport. But no, there was no listen, I wanted to be an Irish Professional champion, the same as Paddy Finn. He'd won the Irish amateur title and won the Irish professional title. And I just wanted to emulate him. As an amateur, I did emulate him. I won the senior title. And I wanted to do it as a pro. He had the Irish professional belt. And I wanted to do that. And I, I think I could have done that. There was talk about me at one time fighting Kevin McBride for the Irish professional title. It didn't come about. Kevin was with uh, Frank Warren at the time. And then he left to work with Frank Maloney. And... Uh, the fight didn't come about. And uh, I never got an Irish professional title fight because I had a bad car crash and my career was finished. But um, it was just it was just fun to be in the boxing gym and to get paid to do the sport that I love, you know, because I really do love the sport. But I didn't fancy fighting 8, 10, 12 rounds. I had six rounders, which was hard enough. I got put down on my first pro fight. I was so tired in round six. I got decked, but I got up. Got up and won on points. It was a hard fight I was. But the matchmaker... The funny thing was, the matchmaker was a man called Paddy Byrne. Now, Paddy Byrne's sister, Cynthia Byrne, was married to my mum's my brother, Sean. So, Paddy Byrne, the matchmaker, his sister was my auntie. If anybody, yeah. should, have been get, if anybody should have been getting an easy fight, it should have been me, you know, because the matchmaker was, was his sister was family. It, yeah, he, he, his name comes up so often on this podcast. One of the great cut men, one of the great matchmakers. Oh, incredible. Figures of... Uh, the last half century of boxing, even even longer, like he, you know, was working in his in his eighties until uh, he was cut man to Mikel Kessler all the way up as well. He was from Barry McGuigan, and you know what a what a career in boxing. I boxed in Denmark. I boxed in Denmark as an amateur, and uh, I boxed against um, Brian Nielsen. Funny enough, with four four Tyson, I think, and uh, yeah, definitely did not, not definitely fought him once. He might have boxed him twice, but uh, he boxed Mike and Morgan's pal was the big promoter in uh, in Denmark. And he was amateur and pro promoter. And they looked after me very well. I boxed in Esberg and Copenhagen. I went over the Northeast Division's team out of out of England. And uh, on the team was Cornelius Carr, who, funny enough, fought Steve Collins for the world title in the Point Depot. He was on the Northeast team. We went over. Um, I was living in Newcastle in the UK for a while. And uh, Mr. Hallett out of Enniskillen. And I boxed his son, Michael, in one of the Irish Championships. And I used to train with him and his, his brother, Tony. And then Mr. Hallett got me over on the Northeast team. Because um, I, I enjoyed boxing. Have gloves, we'll travel. Yeah. I'd box, yeah. Box, I'd box, box anywhere. Just have a go. And um, I met uh, Morgan's pal. He looked after me when I was over there. And he was the big promoter. And Paddy Byrne was his matchmaker. Over in Denmark, and legendary, legendary man in the boxing world, Paddy, you know, and uh, lived in Brighton, out of Dunleary. And um, yeah, nice, nice man, but didn't get me easy matches, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's for sure. <laughs> it, it was, um, 
I'd say it was short lived. Like you had three fights between 1990 and 1991. Then you say you say you had your bad your bad car crash. What happened? Uh, Where was yeah. it? Um, I had a car crash in um, ninety one in um, oh god, just coming off Dorset Street, coming down. Um, what's that? What's the most? What's the name of that road at the top of O'Connor Street from to turn up those steps to me? And he was in a bad car crash there, shattered my shoulder, shattered my knee, shattered my jaw. And uh, my boxing, my boxing was finished then. You know, it was too, 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 too badly damaged and um retired, which was hard to accept. I was only 24, I think. Only 24. And then I didn't box again, 24, 25, and I didn't box again then for 12 years. I went out of the ring, come over to the UK, managed to put for Paddy Finn, um, which was great fun. And then... Uh, Were you close to death after the car crash? No, I was just badly injured. Just, just, no, just, just, just badly injured. And uh, my knee has never been right since, to tell you the truth. I've got a, a damage to femur bone in my knee and uh, my shoulders, I've had surgery on my shoulder, surgery on my knee. But when I made the comeback, Kevin, after 12 years, I needed the money. And there was a big write-up in the boxing news. It said, uh, George Foreman makes the comeback after 10 years. Big Joe Egan makes the comeback after 12 years. They get mentioned in the same paragraph as George <laughs> yeah. Foreman. You know? And I won my comeback fight because I was broke. I needed, I needed the money. And uh, I remember contacting Mike. Now, I didn't, I didn't contact Mike for money. I didn't, I've never got cap and hand to anybody in my life. I work and earn my money. But I'd, uh, I was... I was Broke, you know, and I uh, just needed a few quid. And I thought, well, what do I know how to do? I know how to, to box. I'll give it a go. And uh, made a comment. I contacted Mike. I said, look, I'm not good enough to spar with you anymore. But if uh, if I can uh, maybe get a money on the cards or something like that, and I'll have a fight in Ireland, because they'll tell you if you're anything left. Didn't want to box in England because you box in England, they tell you, oh, yeah, you're looking great. You might look rubbish. But I thought, if I box in Dublin, they'll tell me if there's anything left. You know what I mean? Because I was 37, 38 years of age and they're going on 38. And uh, I boxed in Dublin and uh, on John O'Brien's bill, the Thunderbolts bill, and uh, fought a guy called Mark Williams who, who, who'd who uh, come off a couple of good wins. And he hadn't boxed for two and a half years, actually. I hadn't fought for 12. And I stopped him in the fifth round. He dislocated his shoulder. It wasn't the best way to win, but it was a win. But I asked Brendan Ingle, who was in attendance, he had a fight on the undercard. I asked Brendan, how did I look? Brendan said I looked okay. Tony Mann did my corner, my old amateur trainer. Bit rusty. He said, Joe, but you looked okay. So I thought, yeah, I'll have another one because the money was good. Back earning a few quid again, Joe the boxer. So I was staying with my friend, Steve Dawson, who I, who, who, uh, cause I came home from England and I was staying with Steve. We'd sparred together many times, trained together many times for many years. And, uh, we were going to spar this day. I was getting ready to have another pro fight, another comeback fight. And uh, as we're leaving the, the, the house, the little boy Tristan said, What are you doing, Big Joe? I said, oh, Me and your daddy are going to spa. He said, On a box. He said, Who's the toughest? I said, Oh, your dad's the toughest man on the planet. And anyway, we went to the gym, sparred, which we'd done for many, many, many times over the years, Kevin. And it wasn't even a good punch. I had my headgear on. I rolled into the punch and he caught me a punch and it split my eye. And I felt the blood running down my face. And it wasn't even a good punch. And I knew then it was over. When when I can get cut like that from a 
but I'm not even a good punch. I thought it's over. And I knew when the blood was running down my face. And I went to the hospital, got the stitches in my face, went back to the house, bruising and swelling on the eye of the stitches. And his little boy was looking, oh, what happened to your eye, Big Joe? I said, oh, your daddy cut me when we were sparring. You said he was the toughest man on the planet. Talk, <laughs> yeah. talk about insult to injury. Yeah, yeah. But I knew then it was over. You, you wouldn't know? mess. You wouldn't mess with Steve Dawson. I know Steve well. <laughs> well, you know sure. something. He he caught me with that punch. Steve's a Steve's a very good fighter. Tough, tough man. One of my best friends actually. And uh, yeah, he's a great guy, Steve. But he never went professional. He would have made a great pro, Steve. He would he have made a great. He pro. was uh, around the, in the, uh, the. I think he was a light heavyway in the eighties. With like Pete Taylor and a few kind of in around that that zone, wasn't he? And uh, he he used to train people in the city center. Uh, Still out, of, out of shape, you know, white collar people, people yeah. like me. And I used to go to his gym and uh, did a lot of rounds with him. He was, yeah, he was hey, a great, great, great trainer, great, great trainer. His calisthenics would, would actually. I spied with, with Pete Taylor as well as, as an amateur. We used to train, we used to go out to Bray and I used to spar with Pete. And uh, I remember Katie as a little girl looking through the ropes and me sparring with, 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 with her dad. Pete's a tough man. Pete's a tough, super tough. Well, listen, all fighters are tough. When my you, boxing career, when, when that was over, when, that, when I made that comeback fight and it was over, I accepted that it was over. After the car crash, it was very hard to accept, Kevin, yeah, you know, yeah. because I was sort you, of forced your into that. Your prime was, was yeah. there, but your prime was gone now at this stage. Yeah. And but with this, with, this, with this time, I accepted it was over. I'd won my last fight. Like I said, Emil Teeth refereed my last fight. Fred had, had stopped me in a previous fight and uh, with the cuts. And um, that was a bit of pill, but then years later, when when I when I won my last fight, at least I retired on a win. I only had four professional fights. I could have had forty-four professional fights. I wasn't going anywhere as a pro. I would have just enjoyed the sport, made a few quid. Not but many, had... not many get to go out with a win, Joe. Not many. That's right. Don Manny on... did. Steve Collins did a couple more, but not many. Yeah. I retired on a win. What a great fight, I showed man. He was in the last ever fifteen-round fight in Madison Square Garden. So a lot of people don't know this. It wasn't the last 15-round fight of all time, but it was the last 15-round fight in Madison Square Gardens when he fought Mike McCallum, the body snatcher. Mike Mike was a three-time champion of the world. And after he fought Sean Mannion at Connemara, right? After he fought Sean Mannion, he said, I'm never going to fight another Irishman. He ended up fighting Steve Collins. And after he fought Steve Collins, he went, I'm definitely never going <laughs> to fight another Irishman. <laughs> I mean it. But yeah, incredible fighter, Sean Mannion. Could have been world champion. Should have been world champion. But after that fight, when 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 I realised my career was over, I've always had the safety and the security to work, you know. So I've always earned, you know, something keep the wolves from the door. But the boxing was a bonus. But um, I went to do a dinner. I got invited to do a dinner with uh, Joe Fraser. I sparred Mike for a Marvis Fraser fight. Trained with Mike for the Marvis Fraser fight, and I got to share the top table with Joe and Marvis at the dinner in the Hilton Hotel in in uh, London which was a great honour for me. There was a lot of world champions on the top table and I'm sitting up there with all these legends of the ring and uh, I got applauded alongside them, Kevin. And Cass Pennant was in attendance. Cass had um, been at the show. He's the book publisher. And uh, he said to me, you've got a good story. So half joking, half holding on, I said, you might write a book about me. And he said, well, if we get Mike Tyson involved. So I went to his office the next day, phoned Mike. Mike said, anything I can do for my brother Joe. And Mike did the foreword for the book. Steve Collins, Barry McGuigan, a few others done some great pieces for the book. Mike launched the book in Canary Wharf in 2005. 
the crowds that were there were incredible, thousands and thousands. People queued overnight. Like I said earlier, I know everybody was there for Mike Tyson, but he was there for me. And he he launched the book, it became a bestseller, and then it was re-released the following year with two new chapters, 16 new pages of photographs, became a bestseller again. I've signed the rights for the book to be a film, so fingers crossed they turned the book into a film and fingers crossed to get somebody good looking to play me in the film. You know, I'd be happy if they did. But uh, Jim, uh, Jim Rock's in the in the lead, uh, in the running to play the lead, I think. All right. Uh, Jim's gonna... looking well. He always keeps himself <laughs> well, Jim. Jim always keeps himself well. But Joe, but, Joe uh, what is it about your story that you think uh, resonates with so many people? Because was it in the years between, like, because obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of tough stuff in there as well, Joe, like in your life story. There was the the attack on the pub that you ran, uh, which sounded like an absolute bloodbath in Birmingham. 26th of July, 1998, I got shot twice. I belt the royalty out of respect, Kevin. I belt the no man out of fear. And that's that's the that's the fight of the boxer. We won't, we, we won't belt out of fear. And uh, these protection racketeers in Birmingham on the 19th of July wanted £500 a week out of my business. And I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay that. I'm not going to pay, pay for protection. Anyway, they attacked the following week and uh, there were some friends of mine in the pub. I was blessed using the pub Xboxes. The pub had a Sunday communion going on, a Holy Communion in the function room. And it was a bad day. It was a 25-minute pitch battle. Uh, I got shot twice. There was a lot of people wounded. And the headlines in the newspaper said the battle at the Lindhurst pub made the Braveheart movie look like a Walt Disney film. It was very, 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 very dangerous, very frightening. And um, I was... Uh, Lucky not to be killed. You know, they came to kill 37 unarmed with hatchets, machetes, shotguns. I thought this was something you see in the movies, but that that happened. But that, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Mm. Um, yeah, my so- whole story, my, my, listen, my, my life has been a roller coaster of a life. Ups and downs, ups and downs. But listen, if you you go to hospital and you're on a on, on, on a life support machine, which I was, I was on ICU in North Carolina, I was in a coma for three days, another incident. I was in a coma for three days, five five days in ICU in North Carolina, which was the first place ever in the world that they had intensive care. Anyway, I had a blood clot at the back of my knee, went into my lung and nearly died. But um, if you look at a, a, a heart machine in the hospital, beats, it goes up, goes down, beats, it goes up, it goes down, beats, it goes up. And that shows you're alive. When it flatlines, you're dead. And in life, peaks and troughs, that's what life is, ups and downs, ups and downs. And I think you've got to experience the highs to appreciate the lows. Or to experience the lows, sorry, to appreciate the highs. You know, I got it wrong right round then. I shouldn't have had that last fight, Kevin. You've got to experience the lows to appreciate the highs, you know, and... Uh, my life has been a roller coaster. I've uh, I've had my fair share of ups and downs, but it shows in my life, you know. You, ha- and, uh, you have something in common with Mike again, like uh, yeah. you've been you've been inside. You've done a spell in prison as well. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't particularly a very nice time. Um, I got into trouble after that gun battle at the Lindhurst. Um, I got into a bit of trouble afterwards. I beat the attempted murder charges at the Lindhurst. I got into a bit of trouble afterwards. I had to make ends meet. Uh, very shame to say. The only time I'd ever seen my daddy cry was when he got noticed news that his, his own dad had died and I watched him hold his head in his hands. I was a little boy and I watched him cry. And um, years later, when I got found guilty of a crime, I looked up into the gallery and he was holding his head in his hands crying. And I, I felt sick and ashamed, Evan, that uh, me getting sent to prison and had the same effect on my dad as his daddy dying, you know, and uh, I was ashamed. And I swore then I'd never get into trouble again and 
I'll never get into trouble again. I just, uh, just at the time, I was very, very low. Um, what was being done to me was a crime. All I done was defend myself. And I got charged with attempted murder and uh, I ran out of money fighting the legal fee, fighting the legal battle. And I, I turned the crime to take for the, the legal fees and um, got into trouble. But um, like I say, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. It, 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 uh, it was a chapter of my life that I've had to live. Yeah, it's like you say, like a chapter, a chapter of the story, and the story yeah. now is, um, it's unbelievable. Like we we've been talking here for like an hour and a half almost, and we could keep probably could probably go another ten uh, with different chapters and different well, stories. I want to I want to I want to end on a good part of my, my life, right? Because we've had a few hard times through the story, but when Cass Pennant published my book, it was it was a pivotal point in my life, you know. It was an incredible day. Mike visited my mum in Ireland on a few occasions with the Sligo and Nimerick. You know, it just turned my life around in, in, in so many positive ways. And um, Cass gave me a part in his movie called Cass. I played a landlord of the Britannia pub and um, I uh, was on the film set. I met an actor called Tamar Hassan, who, who's a big star. He said, Joe, you've got a great presence on screen. He said, would you fancy an acting career? I said, I've acted my way through a boxing career, Tom, and I'll give it a go, you know. <laughs> and he, he introduced me to his agent. His agent sent me for the audition for Sherlock Holmes, play a character called Mac Murdo. Um, I fight Robert Downey Jr. So I was to fight Robert Downey Jr., who was playing Sherlock Holmes. And I went to the read-through in Claridge. my name, played Joe Egan. It's the Jude Law, Robert Downey Jr., Rachel McAdams, who went on to win the Academy Award for Southpaw, Eddie Mass, and all these legends of the acting screen. And sitting opposite guy, Richard He's Gold, also my Robert. future wife, but yeah, say no, yeah, say no more. Well, she, uh, she was sitting beside alongside me and uh, she's looking across to Joe Silver, the CEO of Warner Brothers, Guy Richie. And Guy said, Joe, I've been trying to get you in one of my films for a long time. I said, you're joking. Robert Downey Jr. leaned in and says, Joe, you come with a fierce reputation. I couldn't believe that these people even know me. But they knew me through Tyson. Anyway, we travelled in the minibus to do the practice fight. And guys said, how are things? I said, things are okay. Oh, I'm making ends meet. He said, has your agent told you what you get for the fight? I said, guy never even asked. I'm just so honoured to be in your film. When he told me, Kevin, it was more than a gun in my pro fights. And I said to the guy, for that money, I said, Robert Downey Jr. can really hit me. You can kick me as well if you want to. And he took it for the laughing. He said, Joe, I don't want you beaten up. I said, I've been beaten up for a lot less than that. I'll do a few weeks in hospital for that money. And then I didn't have to. He gave me a scene in the prison where I get called Big Joe by an Academy Award and an actor in a Warner Brothers movie directed by Guy Ritchie, which has made all the pieces I've took worthwhile. It made my mom so proud because she's seen me on the big screen and she loved it. And in the most recent film, I've done Prize Fighter with Russell Crowe, another Academy Award winner, and he calls me Joe in the film. So two Academy Award winners have called me by my own name in films. I've done over 60 movies now, Kevin. The parts are getting bigger if I get experienced. I get to play the gangster or the tough guy, but I've lived that life of a tough guy. You know, so to portray it on screen is 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 quite easy, you know. And I've just done the doors, I've done security, I've entered the boxing ring. So I've lived that life of a tough guy. And life's very, very good. You know, I'm 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 living in the UK, I'm happy, I'm working, I've got my health, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't take drugs. And um, when people hear that I don't drink, they get quite shocked. They say, you're an Irishman that doesn't drink. What sort of an Irishman are you? I said, well, my dad used to say I was a failure as an Irishman because I didn't drink, you know. But I got a good life, Kevin, you know. And uh, we could keep talking for ages. 
but uh, listen, you've so, got so many of the stories cross over as well. And uh, look, it's just been yeah, it's been a pleasure to hear some of them. And, uh, you, we've scratched the service, and we'll we'll have you back, Joe. We'd love to have you back someday as well. There's so many different uh, angles we can there's explore. Loads of things we could talk about, you know. And I live for the sport. I've got a lot of great memories for the sport, and for all the fighters that that I've that that, that I mentioned, if if uh, here and there's all the fighters that I've met over the years, the fans at the National Stadium. I had, I had some great rapport with the National Stadium fans. And Jimmy McGee used to interview me, and it's just just great memories. I've, I've traveled down memory lane again today. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Joe. Uh, you've been listening to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with Big Joe Egan. What a pleasure this week to be joined by a larger than life character who's, who's now on the silver screen. Joe, thank you again. Pleasure, Kevin. Thank you so much. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.